We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is ever dear. But I am safe within the arms of God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not surrender. I'll not Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh of the Gospel Defender Ministries. This gospel message will encourage and equip those who have ears to hear to be a Christian clothed with the armor of a gospel defender. I'll not Ladies and gentlemen, it is written in Ephesians 4 that Jesus gave four gifts to the church that he built and purchased with his own blood that was shed while his body was nailed to the old rugged cross. Those gifts are listed in verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. One of the many truths in the Word of God that has been lost and forgotten by those who are part of the various divided religious bodies within Christendom is that gift of pastors does not refer to a preacher standing behind a pulpit. Pastors are men who are also called in God's Word elders, bishops, presbyters, shepherds, and overseers. Sometimes people refer to me as a pastor, and I cringe. I do a double cringe when someone addresses me as a reverend pastor. I am neither. There is nothing reverend about me, and I have no desire to be a pastor. I am not qualified to be one. It is written in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, that a man who desires the position of a bishop desires a good work. That word bishop is a word that is synonymous with the word pastor. So a pastor must desire to be one, and that leaves me out. To refer to your preacher as your pastor is as wrong as to refer to a woman as your preacher. There is no such animal as this in the Word of God. I know this is not the consensus of most people who profess to be part of Christianity, 
but the doctrines to which the majority in Christianity consent seldom agree with what is revealed in God's holy, infallible, inspired word. It is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, where you will find the suitable word to use when you address me. It is one of those four gift words of Ephesians 4, verse 11. Paul wrote to Timothy and exhorted him to be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I have not been called to fulfill the ministry of a pastor, elder, bishop, presbyter, shepherd, or overseer. I have been ordained to be an evangelist, and I am quite happy to be one of those. As an evangelist, I have been charged to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. This is a full-time job that requires all my time. I do not have the time to be one of the other gifts Christ gave to the church. Speaking of time, Paul went on to say in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers who will turn their ears away from the truth. If there were ever a time when people who profess to be Christians had the ear itch, it is today. It is more and more the case that people turn their ears away from the truth and are turned aside to fables. We are doing our best to administer the cure for the ear itch each time we speak on this radio station by applying the ointment of God's Word to the many ears that itch to hear something other than the truth from God's Word. We have our critics. There are those in our listening audience who want to know why we make such a big deal out of words and about names. What makes the difference what you call yourself, we are asked. This question reveals a person's unfamiliarity with God's Word. Ladies and gentlemen, words are important. If you don't believe that, call your spouse by someone else's name and let me know how that worked out. Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Regarding church doctrine, the church is to speak as the Word of God speaks, or as the church of yesteryear reminded us, Bible names for Bible things. Christ gave the four gifts of Ephesians 4 to the church to equip the saints and to edify the body of Christ, so the church would no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. It is not possible to hear the words trickery, cunning craftiness, and deceitful plotting without thinking of the serpent in Genesis 3, 
who used each of these devices to persuade Eve to violate God's word. His ministers used these same tactics to cause the church of the first century to be tossed to and fro, even during the lifetime of the apostles. Ministers of Satan taught and preached doctrines contrary to the doctrines taught and preached by the chosen apostles of Jesus Christ. And this is why the church Jesus built was carried about with every wind of doctrine. Satan's ministers posed as ministers of Christ, but they weren't. They tricked some in the church to think what Christ and his apostles taught was not true. They did this by their cunning craftiness. This craft of cunning craftiness continues to be practiced in the religious world. How many who have the ungodly gift of tricking people to believe doctrines that are contradictory to the inspired word of God, only God knows. But be well assured, God does know. Preaching and teaching God's word with cunning craftiness began almost as soon as God made a woman from the rib of the man he had formed of the dust of the ground. The woman was made at the end of Genesis 2, and it was at the beginning of Genesis 3 that the serpent, more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, persuaded the woman to ignore what her Creator said, and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The rest is history. She was cursed, her husband was cursed, and the subtle serpent was cursed. It is the curse of the serpent that we especially note. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There is much that we could say about this curse, but we will limit ourselves to that last sentence. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3, verse 15 is the first prophecy foretelling the Messiah's ultimate defeat of the devil. The devil would bruise the heel of Jesus by orchestrating the events that led him to being crucified. But Jesus would bruise the head of the devil by his resurrecting from the dead. It was this message that Apostle Peter preached on the day of Acts 2 Pentecost to the multitude assembled in Jerusalem on that day. This Jesus, who you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. The devil's head was crushed. The devil was defeated at the cross by the shed blood of Christ and at the empty tomb by the resurrection of Christ. Writing to Christians, Apostle John said in 1 John 1 verse 7, 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It was the blood of the Lamb of God that did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do, take away sins. Satan and his ministers do not shy away from speaking about the blood of Christ. It is part of their messages. As deceitful workers, they know the doctrine of Christ's blood cannot be ignored if they are to maintain their appearance as being ministers of righteousness. They do not fear preaching about the blood. They even tell their audiences that it was on his cross that his blood was shed that saves men from sin. They do not discourage singing hymns about the blood and sing enthusiastically along with everyone else. Preaching and singing about the blood is one thing. Telling an audience how to receive the benefits of the blood is another. These satanic ministers refuse to tell their audiences what the Bible says about how the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ is appropriated. They preach the doctrine of a sinner's prayer by which the blood is not appropriated. They preach the need to repent by which sin is not forgiven. They preach the need to confess one's faith, which by itself does not forgive sin. But they refuse to preach the way the Bible says the forgiveness of sins is received by His blood. These preachers wax eloquently about a lot of things, but are dead silent concerning what a man must do to have his sins washed away by the blood. They deceive their thousands and tens of thousands by preaching forgiveness of sins without having the sinless blood of the Lamb applied to sin. This is one of the places, and there are many others, where ministers of Satan and ministers of Christ part ways. Faithful ministers of Christ are anxious to tell their audiences how the merits of Christ's blood are received. The devil does not want anyone to be saved by the blood, and he has placed his ministers behind the pulpits of denominationalism to obscure and camouflage God's scheme of redemption. Faith alone without works is their battle cry. No one can earn his way into heaven is their message. These battle cries and messages have been trumpeted so many times and for so long by so many ministers of Satan that even the eyes and ears of unschooled and ignorant preachers have become blinded and deaf to the gospel message of salvation written so clearly on the pages of Holy Script. Religious nonsensical gibberish is welcome, but hardcore, plain-speaking, Biblical doctrine is judged as legalism or Pharisaism. Ladies and gentlemen, there are two ordinances of the church where the blood of Jesus Christ is central. One is immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ, 
The other is the Lord's Supper table of which we will speak next time. These doctrines are anathema to Satan's ministers and are unknown to most people who profess to belong to Christ. Neither baptism nor the Lord's Supper receives much attention in denominationalism or among independents. Satan and his ministers have been very successful in minimizing and removing the preaching and teaching of these two doctrines from their pulpits, except to reject what the Word says about them. Concerning baptism, the Bible says in Romans 6, verses 4 through 6, We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For the first 1,500 years following the establishment of the church, Identified in the Bible, theologians of every stripe believed that immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ was necessary to receive the forgiveness of sins. It was not until the 17th century, the era of the Reformation, that men decided to change their salvation doctrine by excluding baptism in water as being necessary. They did this not because they received a new inspiration from God, but because Satan, through his ministers, one in particular, persuaded the religious world that to be baptized for salvation negated God's grace. It was a work of human merit trying to earn one the right to enter heaven. Gradually, the doctrine that the baptism of Romans 6 was a spiritual baptism having no association with immersion in water developed. The devil, through his ministers, deceitfully plotted their scheme to change God's word to mean something it never meant for more than 15 centuries. Unlike Eve, who took a bite of the rotten apple and lost paradise, denominationalism has swallowed the entire apple preaches a rotten doctrine that results in lost souls. In view of what the Bible says concerning water baptism throughout, only prejudiced minds can believe Romans 6 is talking about a baptism of the Spirit. But they do, by the thousands. If it is the blood of Christ that saves from sin, how does one come under the blood? How is one's sins washed by the blood? How are the merits and the benefits of the blood received? Paul, who himself had his sins washed away in Acts 22, verse 16, by being baptized, said in Romans 6, verse 3, that those who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. Ladies and gentlemen, where did Jesus shed his blood? It wasn't while he was feeding the 5,000. It wasn't while he walked on the water wasn't when he prayed in the garden in Gethsemane. He shed his blood on the cross in his death. When someone is immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ, he is baptized into Christ's death 
where he shed his blood. It is not until one is immersed into Christ's death that he is washed in his blood, that he receives the forgiveness of his sins. It is not in faith alone, without any obedience to the terms of salvation established by Christ. It is not in repentance alone or in confession of faith alone. It is when he is crucified with Christ. It is in that obedient act of faith that his body of sin is done away with. He is buried in a grave of water just as Jesus was buried in the tomb. He resurrects from the grave of water, the grave in which he was buried to have his sins washed away. He is raised from his grave to walk in newness of life. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is not realized by praying a prayer or by confessing one's faith. Prayers and confessions of faith can be spoken until one's tongue touches the bottom of his shoes. But cleansing of sin by the blood of Christ is realized only after doing what the Bible says must be done for salvation. Week after week, we quote Apostle Peter's exhortation in Acts 2. Verse 38, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It is a simple statement that any unprejudiced person can understand. We quote Jesus' statement in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Ministers of Satan tell us, Neither of these two statements has anything to do with salvation today. These statements were applicable only in the first century and only for the Jew. Now it is only faith and repentance that is necessary. The slimy, slippery serpent of Genesis 3 has been very successful in persuading the masses through the deceitful preaching of his servants that faith is necessary, repentance is necessary, confession is necessary, but baptism does not have one thing to do with receiving the merits of the blood of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if you believe this, you have been sucker-punched. The devil and his associates have planted a doctrine into the minds of those who say they love Jesus that preaching about the blood of Christ is all right. But saying immersion in water has anything to do with it is going too far. You can preach about the blood. You can sing about the blood. Just don't tell anyone how to be washed in the blood. Ladies and gentlemen, as long as preachers keep people separated from the blood of Jesus, Satan does not care how many congregations are in your town. They are not the church that Jesus built. They are His. And there are many of them. Are you a member of one? There's a battle going on for the souls of men. The taste of war is Safe within the arms.
God's dear bride. She is the keeper of my soul. She is the church of Christ. I'll not surrender. I'll not surrender. I'll not surrender. I know I'll always be a gospel defender. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Breidenbaugh speaking. You have just heard another Gospel Defender Ministries radio broadcast brought to you by the church that Jesus built and preaches all of the word to all of the world. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So find someone today who will immerse you into Christ today before it is everlastingly too late. Our mailing address is Gospel Defender Ministries, Post Office Box 575, Chillicothe, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E, Chillicothe, Ohio, zip 45601. You can also contact us through the World Wide Web at gospel-defender.org or by email at agosdef, A-G-O-S-D-E-F, agosdef at roadrunner.com. At your request, a written transcript or an audio copy of today's message will be sent to you free of charge with no obligation from you now or in the future. We need to hear from you as soon as possible, so please take the time to contact us today. Now, until you and I meet again at this same time and at this same place, our prayer is that you will be steadfastly set for the defense of the gospel. God.